I'm David Bank, and from Impact Alpha, this is an Agents of Impact podcast. And so when we started looking around for kind of what were the big veins, um, big pools of capital that maybe weren't fully optimized for investing in health, uh, the municipal finance market, you know, really showed up very strong. That's Kimberly Cornett, Senior Director of Impact Investments at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Since 2020, the foundation has focused on ways to optimize the $3.8 trillion municipal bond market for health equity and racial justice. Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is sponsoring Muni Impact, Impact Alpha's ongoing coverage of the municipal bond market. I spoke with Kimberly and our colleague Zoila Jennings. Let's jump right into our conversation. Welcome, Kimberly and Zoila, to the uh, Agents of Impact podcast. Delighted to have you. Thank you, David. I feel like I've arrived um, to, to be here with you today um, and with Soyla. So uh, thanks for having us. I'm very excited about this conversation. Um, as you know, we're uh, kicking off our um, Muni Impact beat. And so we wanted to uh, have you help us uh, kind of set it up and provide some context. Maybe, Kimberly, why don't you just uh, uh, j- jump in and, and tell us a little bit about how the, the, the foundation came to focus on uh, municipal bonds as an impact strategy? Sure. Um, well, maybe just a little bit of framing. Um, many of your listeners probably will know that Robert Wood Johnson is uh, a $14 billion foundation focused exclusively on health equity um, and has been making grants and advocating for policy around health and health equity for for 50 years. It's actually our 50th anniversary this year. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have a nice party in, we're in St. Louis, right, Soylent? Mm-hmm, that's right. Um, and, uh, but the foundation is a relative newcomer to impact investing. We had a, a small legacy portfolio of investments but um, not really a strategic focus on using these tools of investment to create change um, and advance health equity. Um, I joined, uh, I'm a pandemic baby, as I call myself at the at the foundation, <laughs> joined uh, about three weeks before everybody went home. Uh, Soyla and our colleague, Akobi came shortly after. And so we were really charged with building out a strategy for how the foundation can use its investment tools alongside grant making, strategic communications and policy to really, um, you know, leverage new capital um, and to create change uh, in the way that investors think about investing in health. And so when we started looking around for kind of what were the big veins, um, big pools of capital that maybe weren't fully optimized for investing in health, uh, the municipal finance market, you know, really showed up very strong. And we're certainly not the first ones to name the muni market as as its own agent of impact using your uh, your, your <laughs> language. Um, because, I mean, I think, you know, many people have written that the municipal market is is maybe the first impact investment. Um, you know, it truly has been the way that all of us as individuals have invested in our communities, maybe not with intentionality, um, but it is the way that uh, cities, towns of all sizes um, invest in themselves. And so we wanted to see um, what barriers existed in that market and how we could really try to kind of prime that market even further for health. And and as you say, it's a as in terms of a vein, it's a quite a big vein. I think it's something like a three point eight trillion dollar market. So there's 
there's a lot uh, of capital if you can nudge it in a in a in a new direction. That's right. And the other thing I would add is that when people think about impact investments, they think of venture capital, social enterprise. And one of the reasons why we wanted to focus on this particular beat is to change the way that impact investors view the municipal bond market, to have them really understand that this is another way of achieving impact, a lesser known way, but still very much affects the daily lives of individuals. And now you you you, you say that the foundation is uh, exclusively focused on on health equity, um, and so that maybe you could just pull apart the two parts of that: health and 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 then equity, um, and in particular, um, 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 racial equity. Sure, I think the foundation, you know, following the murder of George Floyd, really took a really close look at what barriers stand between, you know, an individual and their full opportunity for health and has come to name very explicitly structural racism as one of those barriers for communities of color. And so as we have thought about how the foundation can use the tools of investment, we've been really focused on what are the barriers that stand particularly between communities of color and accessing the capital that they need in order to make investments that make communities, individuals, and households well. So how, what, you've, you've seen this from the beginning. You know, it is clear that community conditions influence health, having access to clean water, affordable homes, high quality schools, parks, and open spaces, and, and even job opportunities means having community conditions that promote health and well-being. It also has to do with coming to terms with uh, how certain financial products have actually caused harm and being very intentional of reducing those harms. Um, and so if you take the municipal bond industry, what that looks like is funding highways that have separated communities from opportunity. And it's that type of analysis that we're looking at when we look at racial equity. What were the historical factors that played into segregation and racialized policy? How can we intentionally go into those issues and reframe them and see if there are certain levers that we can pull um, that help reconnect communities back to opportunity, particularly structurally excluded communities um, and populations of color? So that's interesting. So the muni bonds, as you said, you know, at some level, could be considered like the original impact investments. They fund um, sort of civic infrastructure at some level, and 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 but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are are. Well, put it this way: that doesn't necessarily mean that the impact is all positive, as you said, Zoila. That uh, sometimes uh, uh, racial inequity gets gets some some sometimes baked into municipal bonds. Is that right? That's right. And that's um, one of our first projects that we funded is really understanding, well, what does it look like to integrate racial equity within the municipal bond industry, particularly any given security or any given municipal bond issuance or any given project? What does it look like for it to be equitable for resources to be distributed within communities equitably, but also not just from the from the point of capital movement, but taking everything that happened before capital movement. So the voting, the um, community meetings, the decisions that were made up until the point of issuance, and the really understanding, okay, what happens after 
Did it work? Was the project successful? Were communities positively impacted? So we're really trying to look at the entire spectrum of municipal bonds, not just at the point of capital issuance. So this is really kind of a market shaping uh, exercise or strategy, it, it, it seems like. What are some of the levers that you can pull to kind of shape a market like this? Well, we're really trying to um, rely upon all the tools that the foundation has. So not only do we make grants, we fund research, we help develop policy, we use strategic communications, and we use impacts investments. So that's loans, equity investments, guarantees, in order to deliver more capital to individuals and communities. And so here we're just starting out. So I think one thing to note is we have definitely relied upon practitioners in the field that have been doing this for years. So activist at Asina Social Capital um, that have really been our stewards and guides because um, we're still exploring on, on what does it take for us to invest? Where can we invest and where can we use all of our tools in order to impact change? The municipal bond market is really an ocean, right? And it's an audacious undertaking really to think that you can shape an ocean. Um, and so one of, as Soila noted, we've relied heavily on um, a group of experts from lots of different positions and, and kind of placements around the muni market to really help us think about what our opportunity was to bring transparency to the market for investors. What, what is this uh, debt obligation funding? Where are the proceeds going? Um, and, and that's hard because there are thousands and thousands of issuers um, in this country. And so we are partnering with a stakeholder group of issuers and forming a cohort of communities that are planning on going to the bond market and then testing with those communities, what would it look like for you to include racial equity as a meaningful part of this issuance? How would you describe the use of proceeds and how would you report on that back to investors? We wanna be really uh, cautious here because we don't want to have this be another burden placed on communities. So we're really kind of co-creating what exactly that is going to look like with, again, that cohort of cities. And I would add one of the key points in um, one of our projects was to ensure that we had uh, municipalities, bond issuers in the conversation telling us what they want to include what problems they see in actually executing on including racial equity within their own issuances, but also within their own organizations. And so we've been very um, hesitant to really be pedantic about this and really try to rely on the issuers to tell us what is it that would be most useful for them. How much of this is a uh, desire coming from cities and municipalities, you know, grappling with their own issues in their own communities to to use these tools in in new ways or to maybe sharpen their own thinking around racial equity in their communities? How much of this is coming up from the from the from cities and communities? Yeah, I would say it's coming up, but it's coming up from different places. Um, I think folks want to do this, but they're at different stages. Some municipalities are like, we're ready, we're, we're there. And some are starting off to just say, oh, this is interesting. How would this work? 
Um, and one of the things that we want to be specifically mindful of is small and mid-sized cities, which we define as populations below 500,000, because often those jurisdictions are the most capacity constrained in terms of people, in terms of resources. And so we do not want to be overly burdensome in, in this work and in this process. And so we're really trying to meet folks where they are wherever in, in whatever phase that they are in understanding how to integrate race-based analysis within within their jurisdictions. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. But you said you talk about a burden. Isn't there also a, an opportunity um, in terms of other kinds of social bonds or sustainable bonds or green bonds? Sometimes those kinds of issuances get, uh, get better pricing, get a premium versus more conventional um, uh, issues. Uh, uh, investors actually want that sort of thing. It's true. And I, I think that one of the things that has come up is, you know, is there an opportunity under the umbrella of social bonds, which has, you know, had its moment in the last couple of years to really be concrete about what that means from a racial equity perspective? And again, disclosing use of proceeds, um, understanding what is the source of revenue that is going to pay back those bonds. There's been a number of excellent research papers around um, the economic burden that is disproportionately placed on communities of color through fines and fees, which, you know, is a revenue stream for some, some communities that pay back bonds. So, you know, a lot of this is about disclosure. But I will say that the other things that are coming up are around pricing that there are communities that face a pricing differential, a negative pricing differential in the market. Um, people have recently written about that as kind of the, a black tax. And we're really trying to kind of understand one of, the, one of the things that we love as impact investors is really diagnosing where the perception of risk is higher than actual risk. And so this pricing differential, which is coming up for communities, coming up for HBCUs, um, coming up in, in different issuances, we really want to understand how severe is that and why is that occurring? Because that very well may be both a remnant of historical exclusion of those communities and a lingering perception of risk that simply has to be, we use the word eviscerated, eviscerated from the capital markets. That makes me think that the ratings agencies, the S&Ps and the Fitches and the Moody's and whatnot would be um, key in this um, because the, these, these perceptions of risks are not sort of, you know, they're not perceived in a vacuum. True. And we've been fortunate to have the rating agencies as part of our um, advisory community. And certainly, I mean, one of the things that we were really pleased with when we started pulling on this thread, because we didn't jump into the pool and commit ourselves, was how many other uh, people around the, the investment community were already thinking about this issue. And I think, you know, if the foundation has done anything, I think we created a table at which those experts could come together and again, starting to really triage these issues around disclosure, around use of proceeds, um, around pricing, around who has access to the bond markets, because not everybody does. Not all communities have equal access. Some of them are really kind of forced down a, a private, the private path. Um, Soyla has been doing some very interesting work around 
um, the formation of bond banks, which you know create kind of a conduit uh, for for issuers. Let's just pause on that because that is a very interesting thing. A bond bank, as I understand it, lets smaller communities perhaps band together and, and issue together. Is that is that the basic idea? Yeah. So a bond bank is sits at the state level. And so the state issues bonds on behalf of multiple jurisdictions within the state. And so if I am an investor and I buy bonds issued through the bond bank, I don't necessarily see who, what are the jurisdictions. And so not having um, a label on it for me to know like which cities it's going in, it's really just in the aggregate. It kind of takes away some of the, the race-based credit analysis that happens. So I think an example would be like, um, you know, that experiment with resumes and how they hid the name of the person applying in order to understand if there was bias in the application. That's kind of how I see bond banks um, to really be able to kind of hide the jurisdiction. Uh, and it's really more in the aggregate. So they get the benefit, those jurisdictions um, that are often seen as higher credit risk or have higher pricing. Um, get the benefit of uh, funding in the aggregate. It seems like misperceived risk, you know, it, it may be at the heart of this, but it probably comes up in a number of ways. For example, the black tax that you mentioned is a is a is an example of kind of the way biases kind of play out in the financial markets. But there's other kinds of risks that I, I would guess come into play. You mentioned the the fines and fees that many cities rely on for their own um, municipal financing. And I think, um, you know, that's considered a, a, a risky source of revenue um, as well that that investors might actually like to know about if that's what they're <laughs> waiting for to be repaid for the, on their bonds with. So just maybe say a little more about misperceived risk and how impact investors should think about it. So the misperception of risk is certainly um, one symptom that we're looking at. But the other thing that's coming up very frequently is is just the lack of revenue in communities that have been structurally excluded for uh, generations in some cases. Um, there, there's a terrific book called The Bonds of Inequality that was written by Dr. Destin Jenkins, which really is um, a it's a fascinating read that really draws um, the municipal bond market all the way back in history to segregation and to slavery. And so when we look at a lot of communities that have faced structural um, barriers to accessing capital, it probably shouldn't surprise us that those bonds aren't as attractive to investors as other you know, higher capacity places. And so I think one of the places that we're really digging in is what is the role of the municipal market in helping communities that have been structurally excluded from uh, from the capital markets, whether that's through redlining, um, just a lack of investment. This is the primary tool through which cities and towns fund the things that make them well, that make them more prosperous, that make them more resilient to climate change. And so if you are one of those disinvested communities, how do you how do you get in how do you get in, in the game if your primary tool is less attractive to the capital markets? We don't know the answer to that question, um, but we do know that there is unequal access um, to this market for some places, and and some of those routes um, 
go very far back, you know, to a really racialized uh, America that we're still recovering from. Is there a concern about it, just indebtedness in general of, of communities, you know, that that municipal bonds are a good source of capital, obviously, but they do commit the, the city to, to repaying and many cities um, out here in California, some cities have actually gone bankrupt, um, uh, uh, generally over pension uh, obligations, I think, as opposed to municipal bonds. But is there a, just a concern about indebtedness in general for cities? I think it's definitely something that we're considering. And Dr. Jenkins actually talked about how municipal finance has become a solution to um, the lack of federal investment that happened. And so we, we're definitely watching the overburdenness or, or overburden of cities. And I would give you an example. We are deeply investigating um, the water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and mm -hmm. when we were trying to figure out whether capital was the issue, um, the feedback we heard is it's not necessarily capital as much as the repayment stream, because we do not want to burden communities with higher water charges in a system that is already not working efficiently. And so how do we think about other ways besides debt that can still help with infrastructure improvements? I think we're at a point in time where there are a lot of federal dollars coming down the market. And so in addition to capitalization, we're really trying to understand, is there is there a role we could play with an access to the federal dollars that are coming down that could help alleviate um, some of the debt concerns that communities face. That That's an excellent point. There's a whole panoply of, of financing at the federal level. How are you fitting that into the, to the strategy? I mean, this is a historic time, probably a once in a lifetime generation of federal investment in communities. Um, with tr real intentionality around racial equity all the way, you know, from the White House down to the agencies. We will likely not see this level of investment again. The municipal markets are the tool that we have. Um, they're the tool that we had 50 years ago, and they're likely to be part of the capital markets, a mainstay of the capital markets in the future. So I think trying to find the way forward in terms of how to make that primary tool for communities of all sizes equitable and to provide investors with visibility um, into what they're buying. That's our bread and butter. Um, and, you know, are we going to shift an ocean? I don't know. But I do think that, you know, with a really robust group of stakeholders, you know, we're starting to diagnose some symptoms that are holding many communities back. And one of the things that, you know, is obvious, but we're stating is, you know, there's an entire system built up around the municipal market of bond council and advisors. And we know that if we really want to change the system, we also need to bring those folks along with us. So I'm really happy that, um, you know, a primary uh, partner for us is one of the large uh, professional financial advisor firms that advise issuers when they're getting ready to go to market. And they have been tremendous in terms of obviously having seen thousands and thousands of issuances, but also just really interested in, gosh, how can we do our work better so that when we're advising a city, we can help ask the right questions. 
how is this uh, this issuance going to benefit your whole community, or is it benefiting just a subset of your community? Um, and so, you know, when you're trying to shift an ocean, you know, you, you really have to kind of make sure that everybody in the food chain, if you will, is kind of coming along with you. Because, you know, one thing, you know, David, I mean, sometimes impact investors, we talk to impact investors, right? They We speak each other's language and they're comfortable conversations. I think part of our job is to make sure that we're reaching into the pockets that are less obvious actors in creating the impact that we want and making them close allies. And, um, you know, that's what we have attempted to do um, with some of the financial advisory firms, because they're really on the front lines with communities. And we think they're in a really important asset uh, in this work. Well, we've been talking a lot about the issuers. What should investors, uh, municipal bonds are in almost everybody's portfolios. What should investors ask their advisors or what should they just, what, what questions should they ask about their municipal bond uh, holdings? I think that investors should be asking, um, you know, what what is the use of proceeds? What is this bond paying for and who is benefiting from that? Is it paying for housing in an area that is disinvested of, of a solid supply of affordable housing? Or is it going to a majority white neighborhood that, that already has you know, many of those stability benefits? Understanding, again, what is the revenue source that um, is going to repay the bond? You know, these are questions that an advisor should be able to answer or find the answers to. And we're th we think that they're the questions that investors want to know. And that's why I think you see such a flow of capital seeking out social bonds and not directly tied to this effort, but certainly within the work stream is really thinking like, what is the next evolution of social bonds? Just like green bonds, you know, we kind of had, you know, a plethora of those. And then the market has started to segment to things that are deeply green versus things that are more a shade of green. Um, and we think over time, um, the social bond market will also start to differentiate, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what the use of, of proceeds is going to be. And there have been there have been some, shall we say, sketchy use of proceeds on things that have been called social bonds. So I guess there's some need for the accountability at that score as well. Is that right? Definitely. And one of the things, one of our first projects was working with Public Finance Initiative to help develop a framework a lens really where you can look at a municipal bond and use this framework to really understand, does this fit? And again, looking at a spectrum, um, just like green bonds have shades and different spectrum, I think here we're looking at it as a spectrum too, you know, where are they within their journey? Um, and I think at any point in time is, is fine. And we just want to codify um, exactly where a particular jurisdiction is. I would say also, in addition to use of proceeds, it's important to look at the issuer. You know, what's their strategic plan? What's their master plan? How are they financing all communities equitably? Um, and really moving beyond just kind of the particular bond issuance, but looking at the whole picture. In these times, I suppose the question that can't be uh, avoided is that uh, even if this makes a, a, a ton of sense, there's going to be 
uh, opponents and even a, a, a backlash to this. The, the, the ESG in general has become such a hot button issue, um, maybe <laughs> surprisingly to some of us in, in the impact investing world. But uh, th there we have it. Um, I, I think, is there pushback on, on what, on what uh, you're talking about as well? It's definitely something that we are very aware of. And one of the things we talk a lot with our advisory committee is that wasn't a market factor we were aware of when we started our focus on municipal finance. And it's been interesting to kind of learn what are some other ways that we can move the municipal market along to, to fund projects that the community really wants without necessarily um, calling it ESG, because I think that's that's the point of the municipal bond market. It has been funding community and community life over decades. And so how do we kind of go back to and drill down specifically to to the beginning um, and, and kind of avoid the sensationalism that's happening with the anti-ESG movement? Ultimately, what we're trying to do is just ensure that um, communities, individuals, residents have a voice in what is funded. And I think this this entire project is also really focused, in addition to misperception of risks, is focused on democracy um, and allowing folks to vote on the things that are important to them that they want to be financed within their community. And so we've been trying to better understand what are ways that we can share our message without having it be wrapped up into this ESG or that's happening because that's really at the root of what we do, which is really promoting health equity in community. I think that some of the ESG criticism um, has been around, is it really real? Can you really, can you track it? Um, you know, are there the results that really hold up that framework? And Tracking impact in communities is hard. There's a there's a reason that it is um, not as clear cut as as any of us would like. I think part of what we're trying to do with the framework, um, again informed by issuers, is to really put some hard teeth to it so that investors have something that they can refer back to, and 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 measure progress. So I, I think that's um, maybe a an not a fully satisfying answer to those, you know, who, you know, are are trying to kind of impale ESG. But I think it is one effort that we're making alongside of, um, you know, issuers and advisors to say, we want to be concrete um, in terms of what the, the expected impact is um, and make that visible to both kind of uh, buyers of bonds and to those who want to really understand kind of the impact that those bonds are having. And maybe folks can come together around healthy families and, and vibrant communities and um, and escape some of this uh, uh, politicization and, and division that that uh, that we've seen. That's what everybody wants, and that's what a prosperous economy requires. Um, so you know, for those who you know may um, want to take issue with ESG, um, I think that where we would find agreement is that the municipal bond market is a tool for creating those kind of prosperous, resilient communities and households. And I think everybody can get on board with that. Well, that is a good note to leave it on. And I thank you, uh, Kimberly Cornett and Zoila Jennings, 
uh, for joining us. Thank you, David. This has been a lot of fun, and we really appreciate your bringing some visibility to, um, to this really important effort and the work of many of our partners. So thank you. Thanks so much. That's going to do it for this Agents of Impact podcast. You can read more about the municipal bond market at impactalpha.com. Big thanks to Kimberly, Zoila, to our producer Isaac Silk, and to the whole team at Impact Alpha, investment news for a sustainable edge. And to all you agents of impact, thank you for all that you do.